I've entitled this message, Oh, the Presence of God. It's kind of like an, an exclamation, oh, God's presence, oh, the presence of God. The presence of God is so wonderful, it's, it is so glorious how we need God's presence, and it's that kind of a title, Oh, the Presence of God. Please turn so long to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. So as we look at the story, today we are looking at how the Ark of God's presence, also known as the Ark of the Covenant, came to rest in Jerusalem, in the holy city, the city of David. It is an interesting story of what transpired, but there's also a number of things that we can learn as we look at this today. So here we go, 2 Samuel 6, verse 1 to 15. Are you there? Say yes. It says in verse 1, again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. That's a big group of men. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baalai Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, and I love this, whose name is called the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. Isn't that beautiful? So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Maybe he had a nice view up there. Accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark, verse 5. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to uh, put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Now, let me just pause there for a moment. If you just look at this in isolation, you would feel, well, how could God do this? Uzzah was just trying to help in a situation like this. How could this happen? And I can understand that we can think about it in that way. But I need to tell you that there is a far bigger picture which relates to what happened here. Let me tell you this, God's instructions were clear. He said, every time that you move and that you carry the ark, it will be carried by the Levites, by the priests. It will be carried on their shoulders because on either side of the ark of the covenant, there were golden rings with the rods that went through it, wooden poles, and the priests had to carry it like that. And that was God's instruction. It's very important that we listen to the details of God's instruction. He said, that is the way it will be carried. 
And also it was clear that no one could touch the ark of God. But I wanna say one other thing. The ark was now busy riding on a cart. Do you know whose idea that was? It came from the Philistines. It came, in fact, from diviners of the Philistines. In other words, wicked priests of the Philistines, full of demons, they came up with this idea while the ark was with them, having been captured, that make a cart for the ark and transport the ark on the cart. And so do you realize it was through demonic instruction that now the people of God thought, well, we can just do the same thing. It's easier. And so when you understand the bigger context, you realize this was not a small thing. This was disobedience against God, and therefore God, in his righteousness, had to act. Let's see it from God's perspective. Carry on in verse eight. It says, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of that place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? In other words, how am I gonna get this ark to Jerusalem? I've had a major upset here. One person died. Wow, how's it gonna come to me? Verse 10. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him to the city of David. But David took it to the aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Obed-Edom, please say that name. Verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom. Don't you like that? And all his household. Now, it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that they sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced. Don't you like that? The king coming unstuck, man. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing his linen ephod. In other words, not his outer kingly garments, but just some of the undergarments that some of the priests also weared. Or in verse 15, the last verse says, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting. Somebody say shouting. And with the sound of the trumpet. And we say the Lord bless the reading of his word, amen? Now, please keep it open so you can refer back a couple of times. But let me tell you this. We have to ask this question. What is the significance of the Ark of the Covenant? If you do not understand the significance of the Ark of the Covenant, you will not fully understand the story. What is the significance, the real significance of the Ark of the Covenant? And here it is. It housed the actual presence of the living God. Right there above the ark, above the mercy seat, was the actual presence of the living God. And you know what? If that doesn't blow your mind, then I don't know whatever will blow your mind. It was astounding. And so can you imagine 
The God who stretched out the heavens and the earth and made the stars and, and the galaxies and so on and the sea and the mountains and everything, that almighty God, the great I am, positioned himself right there on the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant was a wooden box. It was uh, overlaid with beautiful gold, and it can contain three things in it. Firstly, the two tablets of the law. This was the tablets that were received on Mount Sinai. It was the commandment that was in there, the Ten Commandments. The ark also contained Aaron's rod, which budded supernaturally. It also contained a golden pot of manna. And then on top of the ark, there were two cherubim. Cherubim were the angels that would protect the presence of God. So these two cherubim were, were golden angel figures and their wings would go right over uh, the, the, the center part of the ark. The two cherubim, their wings, would stretch over that center part, which was the mercy seat. Do you know that once a year, the high priest, would go in there after a whole lot of ceremony and so on. He would go in in such fear of God and he would place some of the animal sacrifice right there, symbolizing the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, which would take away the sin of the world. And so this was a, a holy environment, a holy ark, but it was upon that mercy seat right underneath the cherubim that the Shekinah glory of God, the flame of God's presence rested. That is the significance of the Ark of the Covenant. You know what also strikes me? God always wanted to be with his people. It's not that song that from a distance God is watching. No, God wants to be with his people. That's why there was such a thing as the Ark of the Covenant and the, the tabernacle in the wilderness and later on the beautiful temple. Why? Because God wants to be with his people. You gotta know it, you gotta believe it. He wants to be, he wants his presence to be with us. And even right here, he wants his presence manifest here. God wants to have daily communion with you. You are a temple of God and he loves to be with you. But also, we have to cultivate the awareness of his presence. There are three points that I'd like to share with you. Number one, we simply must have the presence of God. Please say that with me. We simply must have the presence of God. Now, can I ask you, do you, do you really believe that? Do you really think that's true? I'm convinced of it. I believe David was a man that was convinced of it. Now, look at verse 12, the second part. It says, so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. What did David do? He brought up the ark. You know what? David knew that the presence of God belonged right there in their midst. He was convinced of it. He knew that the ark belonged among God's people. David knew it was of paramount importance that the ark had to be re-obtained and brought back to its rightful place, namely Jerusalem. But let me also just 
talk about this for a moment. So what happened with the ark in the first place that it was lost out of the care of Israel? What happened? Well, there was a certain battle where the Philistines were fighting against Israel. And in that one particular battle, the Philistines defeated Israel, and listen to this, they captured the ark of God's presence. Do you see what a massive problem that was? They captured the ark of God. It was a terrible thing for the nation to lose, literally lose the presence of God. When Eli, the high priest who was in Shiloh, when news reached Eli, the high priest, that the ark had been captured, the man was so shocked, he fell off backwards off his chair and he broke his neck and died. It was such a massive shock for Eli because the glory had now departed. He was 98 years old at the time. He was blind, but nonetheless, it was a shock to him. So then what did the Philistines do with the ark? It didn't belong to them. They think they're gonna hang on to the ark. Well, they came and they placed it in their temple to their false god, Dagon. The next night, they went into the temple and the big statue of Dagon had fallen to the ground flat on its face because there is one true living God and one true living God only, amen? So they put Dagon back up. The next day they came back in, Dagon had fallen to the ground again. And the Philistines, soon after, they began to experience plague after plague after plague. Let me tell you, if you try to get a hold of the holy things of God and bring them into an environment of wickedness, there will be plague after plague after plague, and that's what they began to experience. So then they decided, well, let's take it out of this city, and we're going to move the ark to another city, a Philistine city called Gath. Still, no relenting on the plagues. Then they decided they're gonna move it to another city, the city of Ekron. But the plagues continued. And then finally, after seven months, common sense prevailed. <laughs> and the Philistines, after seven months, they returned the Ark of the Covenant to the people of Israel. Praise the Lord. And it, strangely enough, ended up in the home of Abinadab, it was only much later that it was in the home of Obed-Edom. It was the home of Obed-Edom where it was there for 20 years. Now that was not where it was meant to end up, but at least it was with somebody connected as one of the Israelites. But that was before David was king that it was in that man's house, Abinadab. And you know what? It was Saul that was on a king at that point in time. Saul did not have a passion for the presence of God. But David had a passion for the presence of God. And then soon after, he becomes king, and he wants to set things right. And he says, I'm going after that ark. Come hell or high water, that ark of the covenant, God's presence is coming back to his people. Amen? Wow. David had a passion for the presence of God. He desired closeness with God, can I ask you, do you desire closeness with God? And so David said that this ark cannot stay in some obscure place, but it's coming back to where it needs to be. And it says in Psalm 63, verse one, I read this to you last week as well. David said, oh God, 
You are my God. I earnestly search for you. Is that a passion for God or what? I earnestly search. No wonder he wanted to get the ark back. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. Is there anybody hungry in this place? And it goes on and says, my whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. So there was a deep desire that was in David's life for the, for the matchless presence of God. I wanna say that we should be passionate, just like David was for the presence of God. And I wanna ask you today, child of God, listen carefully, are you passionate? Do you value the presence of God? Do you seek after the presence of God? Is it something which is a deep passion? Do you love the presence of God? There's a song that's been out for a good few years, and this is how it goes. I love, I love, I love your presence. I love, I love, I love your presence. I love, I love, I love you, Jesus. I love, I love. I love your presence. That's how it should be. Tell the person next to you, I love God's presence. Tell them that right now. I love God's presence. And let me tell you this. What is very interesting is Obed-Edom, he was so powerfully moved by having the ark of God in his house that later on, he wanted to remain close to the ark. Do you know that when the ark settled in Jerusalem, Obed-Edom became the chief doorkeeper of the ark of God together with his 68 brethren. Wow! That's also a proof. Faithful in little, faithful over much. And also, it tells us amazingly that once you have touched the presence of God, once you have a revelation of the presence of God, you desire more of the presence of God. Come on, give God a hand of praise. Amen. Number two, God's presence produces blessing in every area of our lives. Please say the word blessing. Say it a bit louder. God's presence produces blessing in every area of our lives. I'll back this up. Now, your Bible is still open, hopefully. Look at verse 11 and verse 12, the first part. It says, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed, there it is, Obed-Edom and all his household. Now, it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark. You know what? I'm sure Obed-Edom must have been so tremendously blessed to just to have the honor of the ark of God in his house. Maybe Obed-Edom would wake up during the middle of the night and want to have a little drink of water, and maybe he walks out of his bedroom, I don't know what his house looked like, and he walks into the living room, and there in his house is God. God's presence is there. You know, it must have been like he walks a little bit and he looks back and he says, golly, 
I must be the most blessed person on the face of the earth. And his wife and his kids get up in the morning and they walk through the house and they see here is the ark of the presence of God. How many of you would have loved to be blessed with that experience? Wow, what an incredible thing took place. Wow. And so here he is. He's got the ark in his house and he starts to experience blessing. And the news even reaches King David's ear that Obed-Edom is experiencing blessing. You know what that tells me? The blessing must have been quite obvious, quite visible. If people around David felt, we need to let the king know of all this blessing that's going down. I, I don't know if it should just stay here. And so they even felt to let the king know about the blessing. Know this, as you seek the presence of God, his blessing may become very obvious on your life. And that's so wonderful. And if it is, as you experience that, let me say this, always give the glory to God saying, it's not me, it's just God's goodness, it's just His grace, it's just His presence. It says in Malachi 3 verse 12, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. This was spoken in the context of people honoring God, the Israelites honoring God. And God says, you know what? Sometimes my people, you're gonna have so much blessing that people will start to call you blessed. And that is a fulfillment of God's word when people say, I see the blessing of God upon your life. Let me tell you this, the closer we get to God, the more of his blessing rubs off on us. The closer we get to God, the more of his love the more of his fruit rubs off on us and people will start to acknowledge the blessing of God upon your life. Now, would you say this, cause? Say cause. What's very important to realize is that the cause of the blessing was clearly attributed to the ark of God. We need to be very clear on that. It's nothing else that Obed said or did, or how he brushed his hair, or how clean he polished his shoes, nothing like that. It was attributed to the ark of God. In other words, it was the presence that was producing the blessing. Can I get an amen on that? You know what? There is an undeniable link between the blessing of God and the presence of God. It is clear, it is undeniable. Now listen to this statement. The more you seek God's presence, the more you will enter into greater blessing. It's simple truth, but it's actually profound. May I say it again? The more you seek God's presence, the more you will enter into greater blessing. That's just the way it works. Also, something else I notice here is it didn't take long for Obed to experience Blessing, <laughs> just three months of having the blessing of God, the presence of God in his house brought about visible blessing that others were noticing. Let me say this, you may have been walking in disobedience for many years. You may have been even walking in outright rebellion towards God for many years, but 
if you will just set your face towards God, listen to this, he can reverse the curse and quickly begin to pour blessings out upon your life. And I also wanna say that he can restore the years that the locusts have eaten you and give you fruitful years to make up for those years that you lost out. God's blessing doesn't need to take 100 years to manifest in your life. There's one other thing, listen to this that I noticed is that the blessing that Obed-Edom experienced was not limited or restricted to himself. Listen to this. It extended to all his household and to all that he owned. So this tells me you can be somebody, even in an unsaved family, and your heart is so after God, your heart so loves the presence of God that your unsaved spouse even starts to get blessed. <laughs> your children even start to get blessed. Things around you, your, your home becomes a place of blessing. Your uh, uh, different areas of your life begin to experience the blessing of the Lord. All these little things begin to be blessed. Your land, your relationships, your contracts, your health. And I wanna tell, it, tell you this, even your pets can be blessed. Some of you who are dog lovers or cat lovers, you go, yeah, I like that, I like that. Because let me tell you, Obed-Edom, I'm sure he had a cow outside or a, I don't know, rabbits, I don't know if they farm the rabbits there. They probably had a rooster, a hen, and a couple of things. All that he owned was blessed. Some of you are not too sure of this. <laughs> I want to tell you, if you own it and God says he blessed all that he owns, it even includes that. By the way, we have two tortoises at home. And uh, I introduced to you, I don't have photos, I introduced to you Benjamin and Reuben. Doesn't that sound like spiritual names for tortoises? So we got a little Benjamin, he's about so big, and Reuben, he's a bit of a bigger chap. And uh, you know what? I believe that even my tortoises are blessed because I'm seeking God's presence. Come on. <laughs> but David realized Obed could not have all this blessing to himself. The ark had to come back. Now, my third point is a brief point. I promise you, it is a brief point. Trust me, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Listen to this. God's presence makes you wanna shout and sing. Come on, come on, loosen up a little bit with me here. Come on, say that with me. God's presence makes you wanna shout and sing. Could I have a, a tad more level on my volume? So now look at the last part, verse 13, 14, and 15. It says, and so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone just six paces, that he even sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. You know, what was happening here, remember, David was scared after Uzziah died. And so David wasn't sure how we're gonna get the ark back. And so now they, okay, that needs to be carried by the priests and all of that. But I think David was still scared. That's why after six paces of carrying the ark and seeing that nobody had died, it was so exciting, they began to offer sacrifices and then David died dance before the Lord. Why? Because he saw this trip is gonna be successful. It's not gonna stop here close to Obed-Edom's house. It's going all the way back to Jerusalem. And so look, it says in verse 14, then David danced. Please say the word dance. 
He danced before the Lord with all his might. Folks, this was the king that was dancing. Would you be prepared to dance before the Lord? Thanks to the three of you. This is the king, and it said, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. So it wasn't just a little Madiba shuffle. It was with all his might. And it says in verse 15, so David and all the house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And I think to myself, what a glorious day of rejoicing that was. Can you imagine being part of that celebration? And you know what? The presence of God will make you wanna shout and it will make you wanna sing. And you know, what strikes me here is that David worshiped God enthusiastically. Would you please say enthusiastically? Come on, don't lose me. We're gonna be finished just now. Say enthusiastically. He worshiped God enthusiastically. He didn't suppress his passion. Now, I wanna say to some of you, some of you are a little withdrawn in your worship. Now, we have people on the other end of the spectrum that are the Energizer bunnies and the Red Bull worshipers, and those guys go wild, which is great, which is great. And then we have a lot of people which are really expressive. But I just wanna challenge you today. You know what? The presence of God makes you wanna shout. It makes you wanna sing. You know, some people, you look at them and they tap their foot about three times and you think maybe revival is breaking out. You know, that's about as far as it's gonna get. Tell the person next to you, loosen up a little. Tell them that. <laughs> loosen up a little bit. I wanna say that we serve an amazing God Don't be held back. David danced, David sang, David shouted. Why? Because he loved the presence of God. And so you and I, we don't need to be all prim and proper. For what are we trying to be prim and proper? For what reason are we trying to be prim and proper? We can worship God with great joy. We can worship God with great enthusiasm. Now, let me tell you, about three weeks ago with our birthday celebration, In the second service, it was pumping, man. Oh, we were having a good time. It was pumping. I like when these bass bins, these subs start to like move the air, all right? I'm a bit of a bass junkie, but anyhow. And so then during the song of praise and worship, we were doing that song, uh, what's that one where it goes faster? Egypt, Egypt, out of Egypt. And I was having such a glorious time. I decided I'm gonna start to dance along the front here. Many of you didn't even see it. So here I am, I'm boogieing along the front here, dancing and so having a good time. A couple of people start joining on. Now it's five or six people. I'm thinking, wow, I'm heading up a train here. I turn around on this side and I look back and there to my utter disbelief, my wife is starting to dance with as well. I'm thinking, woo-hoo. <laughs> I said to, uh, by the way, I said to the pastors later on jokingly in the week that when Pastor Andre Buerta starts to dance, it will be the rapture. If you're wanting to know when the rapture's coming, keep an eye 
on whether he's dancing or not or not. But I want to tell you, it was exciting. It was so much fun. And listen to this. My final statement is, the presence of God is exciting. <laughs> Hallelujah. Woo. Come on, make some noise. Won't you stand with me? Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for a new hunger that is in this congregation for the things of God. I thank you for that hunger. We say yes to more hunger after the things of God. I also thank you for the winds of revival that are blowing across the nation of South Africa. And we say, Lord, have your way. Bring revival. Continue revival. Work in us and work through us. And we just declare that we are happy to be bold and enthusiastic and expressive because we love your presence, God. We love your presence. Just say, God, I love your presence. Say that again, God, I love your presence. God, I love your presence. So we thank you, Lord, for a glorious time. In Jesus' name, and we all say, amen. Amen. God bless you, everybody.